to the Very Well Mind podcast. We've interviewed over 100 authors, experts, entrepreneurs, athletes, musicians, and others to help you learn strategies to care for your mental health. This episode is hosted by psychotherapist and best-selling author Amy Morin. Now let's get into the episode. My guest is Jillian Michaels. You might remember her from the TV show, The Biggest Loser, where she coached people who were losing weight. Or perhaps you've seen her on the cover of fitness magazines or on her reality TV show, Just Jillian. She's a personal trainer whose fitness DVDs have sold over 100 million copies. She also has one of the most popular fitness apps in the world. Today, she's talking about the link between mental health and physical health, how to get motivated to create positive changes, and how to balance self-acceptance with self-improvement. Jillian offers some great tips. Some of the things that she says, though, if taken out of context, might not be in line with what I'd recommend as a therapist. So make sure to stick around for the therapist take at the end of the episode, and I'll explain more. This is the part of the show where I break down my guests' mental strength strategies and share how you can apply them to your own life. So here's Jillian Michaels on how to motivate yourself to get healthy. Well, Jillian Michaels, welcome to the Very Well Mind podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. I am thrilled to talk to you. I am a therapist by trade. I talk to a lot of people about mindset and mental health, but I'd love to hear from your perspective as a fitness trainer about the link between mental health and physical health. Well, I think that it's biochemical, right? So when we exercise, it does shift our biochemistry to release mood-enhancing brain (laughs) chemicals, right? We've heard it all before. The endorphins, all of that stuff that's very real. I am not a neuroscientist. The link between exercise and at least feeling better emotionally and psychologically is twofold, in, in my opinion, right? One is, of course, the way it changes your brain chemistry. So it releases all those feel-good chemicals, the endorphins and what have you. And that makes a big difference because I'm, I'm not a psychiatrist, but I do know a little bit about that field. I say a very little bit, but I know that once you fall into a chemical depression, it's very, very difficult to get out of that. And, and hence the reason people will see psychiatrists for medications and hopefully that helps. And I you know, there's no shame in that. But we do know that exercise does help. Not to say it's a solution to a bigger problem, but it helps, right? And then on a behavioral level, when we're taking that time to do something for ourselves and take care of ourselves, engage in these habits of self-care, I think that it begets a feeling of self-worth, self-confidence. When you feel strong physically, you start to feel stronger and more resilient in every other facet of your life. Um, So that's really where I kind of hang my hat when it comes to the connection between fitness and mental well-being. I agree with all of that. And once people start working out, they often start to feel better emotionally and mentally, but it's hard to do it, especially if you're struggling. You think, oh, I don't have the motivation. How do you help motivate people or convince them when they don't feel like moving their bodies? How do you help them get up and do it? Another twofold approach here. So the first one is to establish a why. Um, I mean, and you're going to 
know, you're going to know this better than anybody, right? It's, it's the, uh, I believe it was originally a Nietzsche quote, but I know that Viktor Frankl also uh, wrote Man's Search for Meaning. How do you survive hardship on a great level is to have a meaning. Well, in any, in any area of life, having that why, having that meaning, having that purpose is going to help you tolerate the work and the sacrifice associated with the goal. So really taking some time to think about what health means to you, what it looks like in your life, how your life will improve. And I don't care if it's a two-piece instead of a one-piece. I don't care if it's meeting your great-grandchildren or raising money for breast cancer because you lost somebody to the, whatever it might be, as long as it's important to you, I, I try to help people establish the why, right? Um, and really marinate on that, emotionally connect to it because work with a purpose becomes passion, right? Work without purpose just feels so much more punishing as we all know. And then I try to meet people where they're at, you know, in a very long time ago, earlier in my career, my younger days, it was like, no, you, you, you know, you will not just take the stairs. And I still don't believe in that, but I was far more militant in my approach. It was like, you can do more. You're going to do more. You, you know, we're going to eat organic everything and, and we're going to work out five times a week and we're going to do all the best technique. And the reality is like, while that might be ideal, it's for some people feels so overwhelming and so daunting. And that's why I've tried to really dial back the message and keep it simple. We're going to eat less, we're going to move more, and we're going to use common sense with our food choices. And this is, I think, more accessible for people. It's like, all right, you're going to have the pizza. Okay. Let's have two slices, not half of the pizza. Let's have water, not the soda. Maybe sparkling water with a splash of lime, right? Like, let's walk 20 minutes after dinner. And even though I don't like to give these false messages of lethargy, like just do the bare minimum because that's all you're capable of, that's not the message, right? That used to really bother me when people would say, like, just take the stairs. Because I think it's telling them that they're not capable of more. You absolutely are capable of more, but I get that right now you're feeling overwhelmed, it's daunting, beat down, life's tiring. So let's start with something that feels more palatable. And then literally and figuratively, a body in motion tends to stay in motion. So have you gotten a little softer since your days of being on The Biggest Loser? <laughs> Gosh, I don't know if I would call it softer. I might call it a bit wiser. You know, it's like mm -hmm. instead of racing to finish lines now, I'm like, we're just going to take this like one, <laughs> one step at a time. You remember that movie with Bill Murray? What about Bob? It's like... Yes baby steps to the door, baby steps outside the door, you know, and there's, there's nothing wrong with that. Meet people where they're at and you literally give them a crawl, walk, jog, run scenario. And you put everything within that learning zone where it's just within reach, it's stretch, but it doesn't feel impossible, if you will. And how about when people mess up? Somebody says, all right, I sat down with a bag of Doritos. I ate the whole bag. How do you then not beat yourself up? How do you not say, well, this is not doesn't make sense. I can't lose weight. Uh, there's no sense in trying. What do you do when you mess up? First of all, you have to kind of jettison that entire concept of mess up along mm -hmm. with cheat foods and, and all of that. You got to sort of throw that out the window. This is about 
the accumulation of decisions over time, right? So anything in life, any goal, especially health or weight loss is going to be like up, down, up, down, up, down. And the, you know, it's two steps forward, hopefully one step back, right? Two steps forward, one and a half steps back, but we make these incremental progressions over time. So if one day you had the bag of chips, right? That's our like our little step back. And then the next day is, okay, you know what? Tomorrow I'm going to dial back the calories a little bit and I'll spend an extra 10 minutes at the gym. It's just a checks and balances of behaviors. So if one day you went a little bit nuts, the next day you dial it back. And I think you have to account for that in your overall plan. So one of the things I used to tell people was, Forget the daily calorie allowance. While it's easy to do the math on that, if you look at it over the course of your week, right? Like, all right, my goal is I don't want to eat more than 1,500 calories a day and I want to burn 2,000 calories a day and that should give me roughly a pound a week. And contrary to what's trendy and popular, the math does usually play out just as anticipated. So, and if it doesn't, you need to see an endocrinologist. That's a separate conversation. With that said, If we look at it where one day you went to 2,000, then maybe the next day you go 1,200 and the next day you go 1,200 with unlimited greens. My point is that you find balance in the ups and downs and you anticipate them. They're part of the process and you just kind of dial it back on other days if it ramps up at other points during your week. And do you find that's one of the biggest problems that we have is we're all sort of this all or nothing, like I'm all in or I'm not in at all. And when people mess up, they think there's no sense in trying. You, I mean, you are a therapist. You must understand Mm -hmm. this better than anyone, right? Like my therapist has explained it to me with this kind of black or white thinking. By the way, it's not just with this, right? I mean, we do it with relationships. We do it with a host of different scenarios. It's all good or it's all bad. And it's been explained to me that it's just a far safer place emotionally because if something's all good, it never disappoints you and it never lets you down. If it's all bad, well, it was worthless anyway. But to exist in that kind of like gray zone of having to tolerate the disappointments and the ups and the downs is, is a very hard place to be and requires some grit, Right. But that's Mm -hmm. really the only place that we can exist when it comes to our health, when it comes to our relationships, when it comes to anything. Nothing is perfect. Nothing's all good and nothing is all bad. And tolerating that feeling is really the best way to progress. It's the only way to truly progress. Because again, nothing is all good or all bad or all perfect or or all not. Right. But you're right. We do that with so many things. How about the statistics on weight loss and when people lose weight and how long they keep it off? And we know that statistically, people struggle. They tend to gain the weight back. Why do you think it is? What are some of the biggest reasons why people can't stick to a weight loss plan? Um, Funny. Uh, You know, with Biggest Loser, people used to love to talk about how didn't work. Doesn't work. Worked. They lost a ton of weight. They just put it back on. Eating healthy and moving more, it works Mm -hmm. physically, right? The question becomes, why are they going back to eating more and not moving as much? And that's a much deeper conversation. 
which again, you're, you're going to be far more well-versed in this um, than most. I think I personally am simply because it's what I do and, and I've suffered with it myself. But uh, forgive me for bringing up Dr. Phil. I know a lot of people don't like him, but he said something once that was really, to me, kind of profound, like a light bulb moment. Offensive to some, but profound. And he goes, people are fat because they want to be fat. And I was like, what? What is he talking about? What a jerk. And he was completely right. And what he was really saying is that we make decisions, usually unconsciously, to eat more or to be bigger because it is providing us with something. And most people don't understand that. But I'll give you a perfect example. I worked with a kid who uh, came to the Biggest Loser Ranch. She lost like 80 pounds in a very quick amount of time, a couple of months. And he didn't get eliminated. All the contestants went home for Christmas, right? So he goes home and uh, he, he sees his mom who, you know, the door flies open, his mom is there and she starts sobbing. And I don't mean tears of joy, right? She's sobbing because she's also overweight. She's been overweight his entire life. And upon seeing her much fitter, thinner son, she immediately feels like she's being left behind. She's abandoned. She's ashamed. It's like you broke the contract. We were in this together. This is how we bond. And so what does he do? He immediately throws the brakes on his weight loss and he starts eating more. He gained like seven pounds on his trip home over two weeks. So what does the weight afford him? It affords him an emotional connection with his mother. He doesn't understand that. He doesn't see that. I do because it's what I do. So I, I'm trained to see it. And I work with people like yourself who've taught me how to see it um, and refer him to the appropriate individuals to help him with that problem. But this is why it's like diets do work. Eating less and moving more works. It's called science. Why people have a hard time sticking with it, that's called psychology. And that's where you come in, Doc. <laughs> So, there, there are yeah. so many social factors, right? Environmental factors, uh, emotional issues that all go into it, aren't there? And so you work on the health piece to tell people, yeah, move more, eat less. But amazing how many of those things are hidden or they surface or I'm sure you don't even realize or people don't realize why they're sabotaging themselves. And it's a much deeper issue, right? Wait, look, if you've got a person that's got dad bod, right? Or like, ugh, you know, situational depression, COVID, I put on 15 pounds, I put on 20 pounds, fine, whatever, right? We can, no problem. Get back to the gym, get back on the wagon. When you've got an individual that's 50 plus pounds overweight, then there's a lot more going on there. And it's really important that we're able to acknowledge it so that people can get help when somebody, you know, it's, again, I won't, I won't mention names, but there's one person who's very, 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 very famous for being very overweight. She's a beautiful woman. Um, but, and she's part of like, you know, the body, body positivity movement. When you look into this woman's background, it is some of the most, this woman has been through some of the most horrendous tragedies that you and I pro couldn't even conceive of. And it's so clear to me, like, that's what's going on, right? Like, my God, this poor individual is in so much pain. And she's got to be like, I don't know, 400 pounds. 
And if we aren't allowed to even say, hey, you know, you're killing yourself here with food, then how does anybody ever even get the help that they need? How do you even point it out anymore? Like you'd be able to say it to a person that was drinking too much. You'd be able to say it to a person that was abusing pills. You'd be able to say it to a cigarette smoker. But we can't say it to somebody who is utilizing food as a coping mechanism because people have felt so marginalized by it that now it's like politically incorrect to even discuss. So it's hard to help people get help now for all of those reasons and then some. So then where's that line with, say, self-acceptance and self-improvement? How can you love your body as it is, but at the same time think, and there's room for improvement. There's things I can do. You've got to do both. Isn't that the, the irony of this? Is that the only way forward is to be body positive. You have to love your body because if you love your body, then you want it to be healthy. <laughs> That's the tremendous irony is that it's like, I love me. My body is part of me. And I want only the best for me. So we, we kind of have to start there because if we don't, we don't have the self-esteem or the confidence to make those changes. However, when we, it's the death protest too much. Does that make any sense? Um, when we've been so hurt by uh, feeling marginalized and you see this in different uh minority groups. I'll, I'll speak for the gay community because I'm gay. So that's safe for me, right? So many gay people I know throw around the words like found out this, that. And I think it's because, you know, we felt so hurt and so marginalized by those words that it's like, we're going to take those back. Mm -hmm. Those are ours. You can't hurt us with those words. And you've seen it in other, you know, minority communities, same kind of thing. I think that being obese, it's like, we're taking this back and we love, we love it. You can't hurt us with this because we love it. And it's like, I don't, I don't buy it. Buy that you do love it. I don't buy that you will love all of the health issues that come with it. I don't buy that you will love going bankrupt over it because those kinds of health-related conditions linked to obesity are the number one cause of bankruptcy in America. I don't buy that you'll love cancer or diabetes or heart disease. And yes, you get all those things being thinner as well. But your chances are greatly enhanced when we are overweight. So I, I think that it's this double-edged sword, right? It's like we got to be positive and love ourselves in order to want the best for ourselves. But when we are like, I love it so much, now I'm like, okay, now you're, now you're just defending against pain. And that's not body positive, if that makes any sense. It does, because if you love yourself, you want to be healthy, right? And the goal might not be to be a certain number of pounds, but it would still be, how do I take care of my body? How do I take care of my mind? Yes. And, and there's a great lie going on nowadays, sadly, by people in my industry and even the medical industry. Not all, but a lot of people that, that virtue signal and say things like, oh, you know, people come in all shapes and sizes. No one comes in a size 400 pounds. That's not true. And then it's like, oh, you could be healthy at any size. That's also not true. I could give you all of the reasons why it's not true. I mean, I could give you a one right now. I mean, one that's so simple, anybody could understand it, right? You have several different places. The body stores fat. So subcutaneous under the skin. So that's a good one. That helps with my under eye bags, right? I'm fine with that one. <laughs> Makes my boobs look bigger. Mm -hmm. I like that one. You've got visceral fat. 
So when it gets all loaded up under the skin, the body puts it in between the organs. That's very dangerous. Bad news. When that gets all loaded up, we get ectopic fat. And this is when you get fatty liver disease. You get fat in your heart. You get fat in your brain. Everywhere. Every organ goes in the organs. It's, a th- it's, not, it's not a question. <laughs> That's what happens. Uh, on top of a host of other things, when we get fat in our brain, our heart, our liver, very bad, very unhealthy. So these are just lies that people tell because it's it's politically correct and you want to seem like you're a nice, good guy, but you're not doing anyone any favors and you're not telling the truth for self-serving reasons. Um, that's really scary to me. So I, I would hope that people who are professionals in fitness or nutrition or mental well-being can say firmly, like, everyone's valuable. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And everyone's deserving, equally so. Being obese is not safe, period. End of story. There's help out there if you want it. It's your life. The decision's up to you. But don't, but don't lie and pretend the earth is flat, if you know what I mean. Gotcha. How about on the other end of the spectrum? Sometimes people will say, oh, this person's so mentally strong because they spend six hours a day in the gym. Do you see people on the other extreme that maybe it's that they're punishing themselves and that's why they're working out so much rather than that they actually love themselves? Oh my gosh. Well, that would be kind of the flip side of the same coin to a certain extent, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, But I think there's a mania to that for sure. Um, You know, again, I'm I'm not a therapist, but I would tell you that any addiction whether it's an addiction to exercise, like you mentioned, um, you know, there are varying degrees of them. Um, and some are a bit more dangerous than others, right? It's like, well, heroin's going to be more dangerous than pizza, probably, but none of these things are good. Uh, and this is where, again, it's, it's not about judging. And it is about looking at where these coping mechanisms might compromise the quality of your life. And if they are, getting some help in dealing with them. Definitely. Uh, How do you learn to love yourself? When you meet people and you know that they're struggling, what advice do you give them or how do you help them? Or do you? Do you address that? You know, it's, in my opinion, um, there's one step that's simple. And it people can't believe in a reality they haven't experienced. So if somebody's whole childhood identity is like, you're the funny fat kid, right? You were the one that was never picked for sports. You're uncoordinated. You're lazy. You're weak. You're slow. You're not strong. Whatever, right? The whole story that gets perpetuated. And the problem is that when you start to believe it, like what you think dictates the way you behave. And then those actions create a reality. So that's why history repeats itself. You got to break that cycle. So this is where, again, we've got to catch that fleeting moment of bravado where someone's like, I think I can do this, right? I I got this. I'm going to take that first step. But you've got to support that first step with as much information as possible in the learning zone, right? So it's the crawl, walk, jog, run, so that they have a success. So one of the ways that I was able to very quickly redefine somebody's self-image was when they would go from like the weak, lazy, fat, sad, but that whatever was in their head, you know, whatever story they would tell themselves and put them 
on, I don't know, whatever their issue was, right? Like the treadmill or, and it was like all of a sudden they ran their first mile. And now they're the person that ran a mile. Unlike the kid who always sat out in PE class and could never finish the presidential mile. There was a person I did that with, you know, to show them this is who you really are. This is who you, what you're really capable of. Or it could have been, I never thought I could do a pull-up and there's the pull-up. Or the push-up and there's the push-up. And what it does is it, it opens their mind to go like, if this is possible, what else is possible? It opens up an infinity of possibilities. And it starts to shift their perception of who they are and what they can do in the world over time. But it has to be experiential. And in order to have that positive experience, they've got to be supported, educated, and strategic, if that makes any sense. It does. So I was the chubby kid really? growing up and it took a really, yeah, it took a that. really long, t- it took years. And I was always told I was big boned. It was genetic. You know, it was you just, like you're about this I can't tell you how many, <laughs> how many people told me growing up, like you were never meant to be thin. You're big boned. You wouldn't look right if you lost weight. Years. I mean, it took years for that to shift in my head. Even to this day, sometimes it's still there because that was my label. Like I was the fat kid. You know, I was the one that always picked my other friends up because they weighed about half as much as I did. And so then as an adult, it's really weird to even as a therapist to know, okay, that label doesn't fit anymore, but yet it's still kind of in the back of my head. And so you're right. You have to challenge those things to then think, how do I make it so that I prove to my brain these things aren't true anymore? And so I can imagine for a lot of people who think I'm the, I'm the slow one, I'm the lazy one, I'm the one that sits on the couch, I don't go out, I don't do this, I don't do that. To make that shift in your head is really difficult. Baby steps. It's back, back to what about Bob? It's baby steps to walk around the block, right? But, but you have to, again, you have to set people up for success because if they go from the crawl to the jog, they're going to fail. And by the way, if they're not set up to learn how to set their mind up for failure and recognize that failure is simply a, it's A, a badge of courage, like you made the effort, right? So it's not validation of your incompetence. It's a validation of your courageousness and subsequently an opportunity to learn and grow. Nobody ever learned by winning. So you take responsibility for, all right, where did I go wrong? Where did this fall apart? Let me tweak and reapproach more intelligently the next time. But ideally, we would set them up with the right information to have more successes than failures, and we would mitigate the failures by putting them in the right space, like that learning, growing zone that isn't too far out of reach or too intimidating, and giving them the tools so that the actions they take yield the best results. And I know you came out with a fitness app, which is great timing for people who couldn't go to the gym during COVID. Can you just tell us a little bit about, about your app and how people can oh, access well, it? You, boy, you pitched that one over the plate for me. Um, the, the fitness app is a one-stop shop for nutrition, fitness, and mindfulness. Because I ended up having like 15 apps on my phone. <laughs> and I was like, why? This should all be on one platform. So... My company began the fitness app and it customizes all of your fitness goals based on what your fitness level is, what you want to achieve and accomplish, where you're currently at right now. Same thing with your food, what your food preferences are, if you want to lose weight, if you want to gain weight, if you want to ban ingredients, if you're vegan, if you want to go keto, it's all created by registered dietitians. We have sleep specialists on there, self-care specialists on there, meditations and mindfulness practices 
You can do it any place, anytime, anywhere. So whether it's at home, in your living room, whether it's audio workouts you want to do going for a run or uh, uh, you know climbing stairs outside or a gym workout. Hopefully, there's everything you need to be successful with your health and wellness goals on one platform. Which is super important for people who don't want 55 different apps that all do different things to have one-stop that, shopping. That is the goal. And it does do tracking, but it syncs with my fitness pal. So you don't even need... <laughs> just link them. That tracks cool. all the calories and everything. So then last question for you. For people who say, all right, during the pandemic, I definitely let myself slip and I didn't stay on track. I didn't work out. I've gained some weight. I'm not feeling so good anymore. What's your advice for those people who say, oh, what do I do now? I kind of say, what choice do you have? Like, what do you mean? What do you do now? Pick yourself up, dust yourself off and you get back on the wagon. You know, what is the alternative? I find that fascinating. It's like giving up. This is your one life. I mean, do you really even have an alternative decision other than that? So as I said, it happens. It's like a few steps forward, a few steps back. This is just one, you know, maybe dip on the graph of your journey upward. And there's usually a lesson there. As we've, we've all learned over time, these setbacks, these losses, these tragedies, these hardships, Hemingway, right? We're strongest in the places we've been broken unless you don't allow life to break you and then it's over for you, right? You, you, we all get broken and then we mend wiser, stronger, more resilient, more intelligent and more ready and prepared for the right person, place, opportunity or thing that's waiting just around the corner in life for us to be ready for it. So I would say seize this moment, take the lessons you learned, bounce back with resilience, take a baby step, start with what's palatable, don't overwhelm yourself, go for a walk after dinner and have one less slice of pizza tonight. Ban one ingredient, make it soda, right? Pick one thing, start there. Or pick five small things and try that out. But give yourself small goals that don't overwhelm you with the right information and support And I would say, take the momentum of COVID ending and forge a new path onward. I I love that because I think we can come out of this pandemic stronger and better than before if we use what we learned and take the lessons and say, what do I do now? Absolutely. I mean, exactly. What else are we going to do? And that's that's kind of like, this is the only way forward. So let's let's do it. We're all in this together. Believe believe it. As much as it might not feel like it these days, we are all in this together. We have to remind people of that. I think so too. Jillian Michaels, thank you so much for being on the Very Well Mind podcast. Thank you. And I appreciate you you tolerating the dogs and the (laughs) plumbers and (laughs) me not getting a ton of sleep last night. So thank you very, very much. You've been uh, a very gracious host. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, Ashley gave me access to your app. So when I checked it out earlier, it looks awesome. So I'm excited about that. And um, she said you were moving, but I didn't know you were moving to Miami. I'm thrilled you're coming to South Florida. So <laughs> welcome to The Therapist Take. This is the part of the show where I break down my guest strategies and share how you can apply them to your own life. Before I dive into Jillian's tips, I want to address the quote from Dr. Phil Jillian share about how fat people want to be fat. I've never met anyone who wants to be obese. People are overweight for a lot of different reasons. Some have battled lifelong eating disorders. Some lack access to healthy food and don't have opportunities to exercise. Others have physical health issues like thyroid problems or hormonal issues. 
I've even met some people who gain weight as a defense mechanism after being sexually abused. Food can be an addiction for many people, but unlike other addictions where people are taught to completely avoid the thing they're addicted to, you can't avoid eating. You have to learn how to do it in moderation. And we shouldn't blame people who struggle to do so. We should support their efforts. I do agree with Jillian that there's a clear link between physical health and mental health. Here are three of her strategies that can help you get motivated to stick to healthy habits. Number one, define what health means to you. Jillian talked about the importance of having a why. If you want to stick to your goals, you need to remember why you should do it. Whether your why is that you want to have the energy to play with your grandkids or you want to feel proud when you look at pictures of yourself, write down the reason why you want to stick to your healthy habits. Then when you're tempted to give up or you think that what you're doing is just too hard, read that piece of paper to yourself. Remembering why it's important can help you drown out the excuses or set aside your temporary feelings of frustration. Number two, keep your healthy habits simple. Healthy habits can easily become overly complicated. And Jillian talks about the importance of just keeping things simple. Whether it's a complicated diet or a really rigid exercise routine or a difficult to follow program, you're much more likely to fail when things are complicated. After all, you want to focus all your energy on your habits, not trying to remember what you're supposed to do next. Along the same lines, it's important to enjoy whatever it is that you're doing. If you want to stick to something long-term, don't do something that you hate. If you hate running, you aren't going to stick to it. Or if you hate working out from home, you'll probably give up pretty quickly. So look for simple things that you like to do and you'll set yourself up for success. And number three, stay focused on the big picture. Jillian talked about how people think about their progress in terms of extremes. They either feel like they're all in or they declare themselves utter failures. But it doesn't necessarily matter how much you ate today or how much you worked out yesterday. Instead, it's about accumulating healthy habits over time. And when you mess up or miss a day, the next day is an opportunity to get back on track. Don't throw in the towel just because you got off track temporarily. Keep in mind that making mistakes is part of any process. And you have choices in how you respond when you mess up. If you learn from your mistakes, you'll grow stronger and become better. So those are three of Jillian's tips that I highly recommend. Define what good health means to you. Keep your healthy habits simple. And stay focused on the big picture. Thank you for listening to the Very Well Mind podcast. If you found this episode informative, please share the episode with your friends and family and leave a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about the Very Well Mind podcast, you can head to verywellmind.com slash podcasts.